After I uh, graduated from high school in Wiley, Texas, outside of Dallas, went to college in Abilene, Texas, um, I had two of my closest friends were already in school at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas, and so I, during my senior year of high school, I would make several trips out to Abilene to visit my good friends and spend the night with them, spend the weekends with them, and go to church with them, and uh, they had a big college ministry on Thursday night, so I'd try to leave and skip school on Friday and uh, travel out on Thursday and go to the, the big college ministry at, at one of the our, one of the churches and and then stay the weekend. And it was through that, through those trips, that I got connected with the church in Abilene, University Baptist Church. And and so when I went to college, as a right away as a freshman in college, there. It was a. It was this old, old church in Abilene, Texas. It had been the church at one time, and it, it was, um, it was had this two thousand seat auditorium that looked like a spaceship. It was, it was really interesting. Uh, this interesting building, and then it had a three story education building, and another three story, the original building. Uh, I mean, it was just this massive. Um, building, but inside it was a church of about 50, maybe 75 people on Easter. Um, and so it was just, you're just, you know, BBs in a barrel uh, in this just massive old kind of dilapidated building, except for Thursday nights when they had the big college ministry. It was hosted there. And so there'd be a couple thousand college students there and on uh, Thursday nights, but so I, I had an opportunity. I was asked one of my friends was working with college students there, and he asked me if I would come and help with the youth ministry. So here I am, just out of youth group myself, and and just coming on as a part-time youth minister of about four students. So it wasn't like it was there was much to do, but there were no kids in the church at the time, really. The pastor's kids, really, and there were really no families. It was about ninety percent. Uh, of the church was probably over 70, and then the 10% were college students, or maybe there, there were a few in between, but not many. And by God's grace, so we started reaching into the neighborhoods there, and we saw, we started having a lot of kids from the neighborhoods come, and come by themselves, and had a couple vans, we'd go around, pick up kids, and bring them, and share the gospel with them. We saw many kids trust Christ through that, through that work over the years, and and um, this is where Brooke and I met in in college there at at Hardin Simmons. We had our on our first date. We ended up back at the church, and and so th- that was a special place. We ended up I ended up proposing to her uh, in the auditorium of that church where we would be married six months later. And so, uh, but last week uh, uh, there was. The, this this building that I have so many fond memories, some of them painful, but many of them just great memories. It was demolished <laughs> to make way for a Walmart. So uh, it was going to cost. I read up to seven million dollars to bring it, just bring it up to code. It had been it had been condemned about three or four months ago, and so they finally just sold it. Um, but it was a lot of fun this week. I was on Facebook. There were some some of the kids that we had in the youth group were are still in Abilene, and they're taking pictures and and so starting these long threads. And here are all these comments from the youth that we used to used to work with there, and just recounting 
the goodness of God and the grace of God that to, to the times and so many of them were saved during this time and baptized and then coming from just awful home situations. It was in this real hard, crime-ridden, very poor part of uh, Abilene, Texas, and every home that we we worked in was just just fractured like crazy. And so these kids coming out of real dark, troubling situations, and to see, it's just been great to see that many of them are still walking faithfully with the Lord, and um, and 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 just just great. So it's sad though to see. It was sad to see the building destroyed, to see the bulldozers literally tearing it down on video there. Well, now theologically, I know that the church is not a building. Um, the church is people, and. And, and the church there has since changed names. It's no longer called University Baptist Church. And they're meeting in the Civic Center and renting space. And it's growing and seeing people come to Christ. And I've read stories about this uh, in the last week. But it is, it's still hard to see a building destroyed. It's hard for me to think that when we drive out to see Brooks' parents that I can't drive through Abilene and annoy my kids by telling them this is where we went to church and this is where we're married and it's where we lived and and they just roll their eyes and yeah, whatever, Dad. Um, but but change change is 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 it happened. I mean, to see that building destroyed, it's hard. It's it's change. It's inevitable. I mean, one day if Christ doesn't return, or if there's not a fire or some tornado here, this building will be be demolished. I mean, it's not going to last forever. Um, and and uh, change is inevitable, but change change can be hard. And so we're going to talk this week and next week just about change. There's a lot going on in our own church and a lot going on in your lives. But but just a couple statements. Change is part of life as we know it. That is not very profound. I realize that. But every everything changes. The leadership of our nation is about to change. The, the campaigns that you're hearing and, and our current president, this was his platform, change. That progress. We want to talk about outsiders. And so they're bringing Change. That's a, that's been a part of this campaign season. Cultures change. I think we're seeing seismic shifts in our own, in our own culture. Worldview changes that we see happening in, in the West. Technology, of course, is always changing. We were talking this week about resounding word, the, what we used to call the tape room next here. And we have all those cassette tapes that we're getting in digital files, but, uh, you know, and then it was CDs, and now we don't even do that anymore. So it's, it's changed. Everything's, Changing that state-of-the-art high-tech gift that you wanted so badly for Christmas, and you maybe received in a few years, you'll probably be taking it in the back seat to Goodwill and donating it because it will be worthless to you in no time. Seasons change. I mean, winter will give way to spring. Trees will start budding soon. Our bodies change. We see the children in here changing and growing up and 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 maturing, getting taller, getting smarter, and. And, and, and then the rest of us, we're going to go in the other way. <laughs> we're all decaying. And, and you know, kind of reach the teenage years and then it's downhill. Um, we get older, we get heavier, we get balder, we, we, uh, get more fragile, we have less memory. Uh, we can f- pull out an old Baraka, uh, picture directory from, you know, 15, 20 years ago and I can assure you we've changed. Um, change, change is a given. We're, we're conditioned to expect to expect it. For everything there is a season, a time 
for every matter under the, under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, and on and on. Those, those words didn't originate with the birds. Those are straight out of God's mouth through Solomon. Ecclesiastes 3, there's this, it's always changing. Always change. Change is guaranteed, but change can be hard. That's the second thing. Change can be hard. Changes to our health can be hard. Changes in our bodies. Changes in our minds. It can be very, very difficult for ourselves, for those we love. Changes in relationships. You can have conflict and friendships are broken. You can have divorce, obviously. You can have death that separates those we love. And changes in jobs or careers. Changes in school. You go from middle school to high school. That's big. That can be hard. You're going off to college or moves can be hard. You can, whether it's a mile into a different neighborhood or whether it's a thousand miles across the country, it can be very difficult. Some of you have, have faced significant changes, very difficult changes in the last year. Life is different for you now. And, and you, you understand this. Changes in churches can be difficult. And it could be the simplest things we would think of carpet color or, uh, or it could be music style or, or leadership. But, but those things can, can be hard. I was thinking just yesterday, I was thinking, why is change so hard? I mean, we know it can be hard, but why is it, why is it hard? And I, I just jotted down a few things, uh, just last night. I, these are just some of the reasons. I'd, I'd like to think more about this. But one of the things, one of the reasons I think change is hard is because it feels like loss. Even take the carpet color. I mean, you, you, you trusted Christ in this room. This is where you came. This is where you were married. This is where your pictures. It was red if you weren't here a few years ago. It was all red. And, and now it's different. It feels like loss. Something's, something's gone. Um, I, again, that's a very mundane example, but I'm just showing even in the mundane stuff, this is why I think it can be hard. So it feels like loss. Secondly, change often sends us into uncharted territory. And we're more inclined to fear than we are to faith. And so change by, by its nature, there's, there's things we can't anticipate. We don't know what's coming. And so that's, we tend to be scared. Change also feels like we're saying that the past is wrong. So sometimes when there's changes, it seems like it's an indictment on the way things were. And that's not always the case, but it, it can feel like that. Um, so you, what are you saying? Everything that we used to do was bad. Change disorients us. Um, again, just to the mundane example, when we made, went from one aisle to two aisles, it was interesting to watch you try to figure out what to do in this room. Where do I sit? My chair is gone. And, but I mean, again, that's a very small example, but if, if you move your family or if you, or if some, some, if through death and there's change, it's like, I don't know how to function. It's different. I'm disoriented. Change requires extra work. Just staying the same is easier. Just floating down the stream. That's, that's a lot easier. Change finally, it, it, it brings stuff out of us. We talked about this in the side-by-side conference, but that the, the, the heat of life it draws stuff to the surface, the stuff that's in our hearts, and sometimes that can be ugly. So it's hard because we don't like what we see. Is the kind of the, the change brings stuff out, and um, so it's not it's not it's not easy. It can be hard. It, it, 
It's not easy for anyone, but it can be harder for some than others. I think some by our personality, maybe because of our past experiences, it's particularly challenging. And others, you kind of, it's more adaptable. And I think it's different from person to person. But, I mean, we, we've been... We've been working and planning together on this Vision 2020 process for almost a year now. And and so many of you have been a part of that process. But if you've been part of these working groups, you know there's there's changes that, you know, we're proposing and looking at. And these are good things and things we're excited about. But I guarantee you some of them will be hard. As exciting as they are, it'll be hard. Now, so our vision for the next five years is not to do the exact same things the exact same way we've been doing them. I mean, that's... Honestly, that's, I think, what got the church in Abilene in so much trouble. I think that's why it it just tried to have the same model of ministry and try to minister to the same people that were moving 30 miles away to to the other side of town. And it didn't change. It didn't adapt to the community that it served. And so, so, but it's, so it's not easy, but it's, it's often necessary. So things are always changing. Change can be difficult, but here's one certainty. God does not change. God does not change. Change is foreign to God. One of the things that distinguishes God from, from, from everything else is His unchangeableness. He never gets older. He never gets younger. He never gets smarter or dumber or better or worse. He's, he's the same. He is today as he as he has always been and as he always will be. This is the doctrine of God's immutability. Big word. This can be the word of the day for us here. But the little, if you could break that word down, the little preposition "m" on the front "i m" just means not or no, and then mutable. You understand mutation. You hear that word. It's subject to change. So God to say God is immutable is to say God is not subject to change. And imagine if God could change. What would that, what would that mean? If He changed for the better, then that would mean He wasn't the best possible being before. If He, if he changed for the worse, that would be that He's less than God. So, so we have this doctrine of God's immunity. What comfort that is to us, brothers and sisters. We see it in Psalm 102. This is where the psalmist gets his comfort from in the midst of affliction. We who live in this constantly changing world, and sometimes there are particularly just very difficult turbulence in our lives. We can have confidence in a God who changes not. So let's see that today. We're going to just note five things about God's immutability this morning. The first thing to say is this, is that God's essence is unaffected. His very essence is being, his life, his existence, his nature. It, it's, it doesn't change. It's not altered. I remember going into, my mom used to love to go to antique stores and she, she had a kind of an antique and gift shop for years. My, my brother and dad loved to play golf. I did not like golf. So when we would be on vacation, I'd end up with mom at antique stores. And, and I remember up in Northeast Oklahoma or Southeast Kansas with my mom and my grandmother going around to these junk stores, really is what she called them. And, and, and I would see something that I'd be interested in. My grandmother would say, that's not an antique. That's just a phone. Why is what? It's just a phone to her. To me, it looks like what is this thing? I mean, some old, you know, wall antique phone kind of thing, or whatever it was. But she, she, it's the same. And, and this is so, so something that used to be high tech and state of the art and and functioning is now kind of a, a wall decoration. 
And the, the, it's the same object. It's like it's metamorphosed into any something else. It's, it's the same thing, but, but it has a different nature. It has a different existence, a different essence now. It's a decoration. It used to be a practical um, piece of technology. Some, some have this picture that God is like this. That, that, that he was, he's kind of for those ancient primitive people who just kind of uh, grunted around and stuff like that. And, 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 but, but today we're, we're more sophisticated than this. We've outgrown the idea of this real personal divine being. That's, that's, that's kind of old. And so we, we've, we've, we've moved past that. Outgrown that. We're too advanced for that kind of God now. If it makes you feel good to believe in that kind of God, that's great. But, but realize that it's, it's, it's not the same. But God has always been as He is now. He is now as He has always been. Whatever God is, He always is. That's what we're saying. There are no sometimes aspects of God's nature. Everything He is, He is always. And we saw this in Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. God's essence is unaffected by anything. God is God. He is eternal. He's unchanging. We see it in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. The prophet is warning Israel of the coming wrath of God. He speaks of the coming of John the Baptist. The coming of Jesus the Messiah. And Verse 1 of chapter 3. And the, the day of His coming will be a day of wrath, He says. And, 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 and yet it will also be a day of deliverance and salvation. So you have this, these kind of two themes working in Malachi. And, and, and no one is going to be able to endure the, the day of His coming apart from divine grace. Verse 2. But somehow Israel will be purified through this. And her sacrifices, her worship will be acceptable to God. Verse 3 and 4 and and so God's going to draw His people near and He's going to do so for judgment. But in the midst of, of these words of warning and, and, and comfort, in the midst of that, the Lord speaks of His immutability. And He, and he does so to, 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 to give them a reason that Israel will not be totally consumed. Verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And so, God's, God's very nature, he, he, does not, he does not change. And that unchangeableness of God is a tremendous comfort to His people. We'll talk, again, more of reasons and, and to come. But So if God's nature doesn't change, it flows from that, that His character will not change. That's the second thing. God's character is consistent. His character is consistent. Whatever His attributes were before this world was ever created, whatever His attributes were in the Old Testament, whatever they were in New Testament times, they are today and they always will be. He's not, the, he's not the God of the Old Testament who was this God of kind of this angry, ogre, wrathful God and this God of the New Testament who's love. And today, that's not, that's not it. His power, His holiness, His mercy, His justice, His, his long-suffering, his, his, his sovereignty, His faithfulness, His justice, all of His attributes never change. He never becomes more truthful. He never becomes more merciful. He is always, always consistent in His character. James chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. James, James 1, verse 17, but... 
James is writing, if you remember, he's writing to those to, to, to Christians who are suffering for their faith in great ways. And he says, he begins chapter 1, verse 2 and two to 4 there, Rejoice when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that, that God is going to produce in you endurance through those trials. Down in verse 6 through 8 of James 1, I'm just paraphrasing, summarizing here, but if any of you lacks wis- the wisdom that's needed to know how to respond to, to trials that come, what does he say? Ask God. Ask God, he'll help you. He'll give it to you. Verse 13, God, God tests you through trials and tribulations, but he never tempts you to sin. You, 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 when temp- temptation to sin comes from another, from another source. You can't ever blame God for your sin. You can't blame circumstances that God ordains for your sin. So you get then down in the, then into verse 17. And in this context, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's no, no variation or no shifting shadow, your translations may say. God doesn't, doesn't have a dark side. He's not like a pit bull, which is 99% of the time is probably a really sweet dog and great family pet. But you have to watch. Because it very well might turn on you or turn on your kids. And so you're always wondering, what do we do? No sudden movements? I mean, I know how I am around pit bulls. Um, and we, we don't gamble with God. <laughs> he, he is always who He's always been. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies Never come to an end. So, so God isn't moody. He, he doesn't have mood swings like you and I do. We, we know people. Maybe we are people who are kind of the Jekyll Hyde, um, type of people. And so you don't, you don't ever know which version of them you're going to get whenever you meet with them. Sometimes they're very calm. Sometimes they're crazy. Sometimes they're very funny and happy and and other times they're, they're just angry, furious. You just don't know what you're going to get. And some of our kids, they don't know which version of their dad they're going to get when we walk in the door. Always wondering. But God isn't like that. He's consistent in His character. He's, he's, he's the same. He doesn't have peaks where He's loving and then valleys where He gets grumpy and angry. He's consistent in his character. Third thing we need to say about God's immutability is that God's word stands forever. His word stands forever. Do, do you ever say things that you really don't mean? Of course you do. Of course you do. We we all have to take things back at times. We say something and we have to go back and ask for forgiveness or I hope we do and, and we say, oh, that was, I shouldn't have said that. Well, God, God never has to do that. He never, he never takes back what he says. Our words are unstable. Our words are untrustworthy. We're fickle. But not so with God's word. His word stands forever and ever and ever as the perfect expression of God's thought and of his mind. He's, he's not secretly working on some fourth edition to the Bible. Waiting to put it out. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
Psalm 119, a great psalm. And over, there's many verses we could quote in Psalm 119 that make this point. But verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It, it's not touchable. You can't get it. You can't mess with it. God's kept it in the heavens. Verse 151, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. It, that word means they're stable, they're sure. It's, it's, they're, they're not going to totter. Long have I known you from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. So God's, God's word stands forever. He stands behind all of his promises, all of his demands, all of his wisdom, all of his warnings. Everything he said, it stands. It lasts. The Bible will never be out of date. It will never be a relic. It's nothing less than God's unchanging eternal truth. And so, I mean, just the question is, are, are you reading it? Do you, do, you, do you understand that about the nature of God's word? I hope so. The certainty of, of God's word and his unchangeable word is a safe harbor for us. When things get crazy, when, when life changes around us and circumstances change and winds of trouble blow, we, we, can, we can go here and we, we can build our life on this word. I just know, from my own experience, when things really get hard and, 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 and hardships just seem to come and, and this onslaught and, and I'm confused and I don't, I, things are not clear to me and I'm not sure how things are going to work out and I don't know what's coming and, and you, you've been here. Maybe you're there now. What, what you can do though, and what I've found such great comfort is, it doesn't matter where I'm at in my Bible reading plan. Whatever I go, and I could be in Chronicles reading a list of names, but what, what helps me is this is true. I do not know what tomorrow holds. I do not know what to do about this situation in my life. I do not know where I'll be next week, but this is true. I know this. That's a comfort. That's a, that's a rock for us. And so, so this is a great help that God's word stands forever. Fourth, God's purposes are unalterable. Our plans change all the time. Why? Because we can't anticipate all the circumstances that are ahead. So, I mean, Brooke and I, there was, almost became comical. We had, we would make anniversary plans well in advance and we, we had a, have this little theater we like to go and have dinner and go see a show and inevitably one of the kids would be sick. And so I would take a different kid each year is what it ended up being and, and, uh, kind of a father child date, uh, cause, you know, dad doesn't do when you're sick. So, um, so our plans, we, we, they change all the time because we don't know what's coming. And also, even under the best circumstances, we don't always have the power to carry out the things we plan to do. We think we have more time, think we have more energy, think we have more strength, we can, we can do more than we expect we can. And so our plans change all the time. God's plans never change. Why? Because He's omniscient. He knows everything. There's no circumstance that he, He's not anticipating or hasn't planned for. And he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. There's nothing that can thwart his plans. So he's not like us. His purposes never change. Psalm 33 verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. It doesn't, and that doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's a good or evil generation. God's plans aren't thwarted. It doesn't matter who's elected next November. I'm not saying that's reason not to vote or not to care, but I'm just saying whoever is elected, whoever's president, who's ever Whoever is the leader of any nation, God's plans aren't thwarted. It's a matter of what changes come in our society. Counsel of the Lord stands forever. His promises will come to pass. 
Every item on God's to-do list will be accomplished. We can be certain of that. In Romans 11, just quickly, you have that great passage on the, this, this hope for, for God's people Israel, that all Israel will be saved. And, and yet if Paul writes, it seems like that can't possibly be true. Because they're not believing God, they're not obedient to the Lord. And so how, how can that be true? But Paul says, yes, God is, is blinding them, but he's also blessing them, he's keeping them, he's holding them. Better days are coming for Israel. The prophets predicted it. God has promised it. There's a future for Israel. And then he says in verse 29 of chapter 11, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. One paraphrase of that verse is that God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. Never canceled, never rescinded. God doesn't take back his gifts. He doesn't take back his promises. He will not cancel his call. That's great hope for us. And that's not just hope for Israel. That's, that's hope for us and all the promises God made. God has made. He always accomplishes his promises. He always keeps them. They are unbreakable. He takes care of the sparrows. He will take care of you. No matter what's going on in your life. You will not be tempted beyond what you can handle. But He will provide a way of escape. God will hear you. And He will answer you when you pray. He will forgive your sins if you confess them. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And if you lack wisdom. How to handle some situation in life. God will give it to you. If you ask Him. God is faithful and He will strengthen you. He will protect you from the evil one. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will work all things together for your good. His word will not return void. He will make all things new. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will come again for His own. And the dead in Christ will be raised. We have so many promises in Scripture. And they are unbreakable. What comfort and hope and help that is for us when things around us change. There's a lot I don't know about. But I have God's Word. I have His promises. And they are sure. Lastly, is that God's Son is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8, that's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So only God is immutable, Jesus is immutable, so therefore Jesus is God. So it's proof of his deity, but it's more than that. It's not, it's not, as, that's not really the point of the writer of Hebrews. So you see it in context, look in verse 7 of Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which you, which have not benefited those who, those devoted to them. So, the book of Hebrews is written to these Jewish saints who were being, who, who were facing persecution, probably by their Jewish kinsmen, unbelieving Jewish kinsmen. So they're tempted to go, go back to Judaism, there's pressure, they walk away from Christ, and so the writer urges them to persist, Faith, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of persecution, what's the incentive that the writer gives? It's just the mutability of Jesus. He doesn't change. 
He doesn't change. He doesn't change with the times. Hebrews 7.25. Just see an implication of this. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always does. That's still true today. Christ doesn't change. Well, just before we go to the table, let me just give you a couple implications of this and, and then we'll eat and drink together and worship at the table. First implication is this. This, should, this provides power in prayer. I don't mean power that we generate in ourselves, but I mean it just gives life and vitality in our praying. Can you imagine praying to a God who's like a chameleon? Just changing all the time. Reactionary, just kind of responding to the circumstances of life just like we do. It's, it's a fickle God. He, you don't know if He's going to give help one day and then deny it the next day when you ask. That's, that's, that's an awful thought. That, that God would be responding to our praying depending on His mood. And also that we pray to a God who sees the end from the beginning as we're talking about. And He has power to do whatever He chooses. And so, so, so it gives power in prayer. This understanding of God's immutability. Secondly, it gives stability in suffering. We've made much of this already. But I'll just say, church, listen. God was the same on September 10th as He was on September 11th. Now that, those dates have dual meaning for us now. As a nation and as a church of this last year. But God is the same today as He'll be tomorrow if you're waiting for lab results from the doctor's office, whatever they may be. God is the same now as he'll be when you don't get accepted into the college that you really want to go to, high school student. I mean, it doesn't mean that the changes and those hardships aren't hard. But it does mean that we don't have to be shipwrecked by them. That we, we have, again, the safe harbor and an unchanging God. And again, the context of almost every passage we've looked at that, that talks about the unchangeableness of God, what has been the context? It's been suffering, hardships, trouble. Psalm 102 and James and all over the place. It's it, Hebrews, it's, it's a suffering. And God, there's just a great comfort. It's stability in times of suffering. Third, this is related, but comfort and turbulence. Comfort and turbulence. And, and, and I mean, when, when, when change is happening, it it's gives us... Help, confidence. I don't know what changes are coming into your life this next year. And what has come and what will come. In your family, in your church, in our world. There will be babies that are born. And that will be a lot of change for some. There will be people that we love that die. Some, even in our, our world's scene. There will, be, there will be places where there's fierce fighting now. And the, there will be peace. And there will be other parts of the world where there's peace and there will be war. And so we don't know what's coming. Change is a guarantee. But however quickly things change, however difficult those changes may be, we can have confidence, again, in the midst of that, that God doesn't change. That's a help. Uh, next is, is that we it, it gives us a right kind of flexibility in times of change. Understanding that God doesn't change. And it sounds counterintuitive. It's saying like, well, if God doesn't change, then, then we, the, 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 we should be rigid and unchanging. But yes and no. We'll talk about this more next week. That the church is this unique thing and that it's never changing in the sense that we have doctrine that doesn't change. We have a gospel. We have, we have practices that don't change. And yet the church is always changing. 
It's always growing, always, always moving. I mean, you see it in the book of Acts. It's, it's, it's moving, it's, it's shifting, it's changing strategies, doing different things, going into different places, and it's growing, and people being added, and, and, and so, so flexibility, though, in times of change, if we really grasp God's unchangeableness, we'll be okay with things that change in our lives. Everything, we say, when it, when it happens, we say, everything's different now. Well, not really, because God isn't different. He's still holding us, He's still keeping us. All those things that make change hard are helped by grasping God's immutability. You say change seems like loss. Well, whatever whatever loss we have, whatever things we lose, we have God and He's enough. So we're helped by that. Change is disorienting, but we remember that God is sovereign and He's unshaken. He directs our steps. Change is exhausting. It, it requires extra work. and yeah, But God gives strength when we need it. Change brings ugly stuff out of us, but we have a God who can be counted on to forgive sins when we confess them to Him. So you see how the doctrine of immutability, it actually helps us be more nimble as, as people, as, a, as individuals, as a church. Well, we're going to come to the table now. And, and, and if you want to see God's unchanging character, we see it no more clearly than we do when we come here and we remember what Christ has done for us at the cross. That you have constant love for sinners. Met with constant wrath for sin. So it's not that the, the cross is this display of the wrath of God and the love of God. It's all, it's mingled together there. Unrelenting justice and undying mercy meet at the cross. That's what we remember as we come and eat and drink. Sin had to be accounted for, so God sent His Son Jesus to be our substitute. He died in our place. He was—he had no sin, but he—he he took our sin upon himself and was punished in our place, dying on the cross for us. And so, on the cross, it's as if every sin that we ever committed was placed upon Jesus, and He suffered in our place, so that God could treat us as if we had lived Jesus' perfect life. We have His righteousness. The word, the big fancy word, is imputed to us. It's given to us. As, as, as he dies as our substitute. So uh, for all who give up trying to earn God's favor. And, and trust in Christ's saving work. And that alone. Sin is taken care of on the cross. And so it's that that we remember as we come to the table. So let me pray and, and then we'll worship there. And, and, and eat and drink together. Father I pray that you would help us as we take the bread. As we take the cup in just a moment. And. And eat and drink together to remember um, to remember Jesus as He called us to remember His body, remember His blood, remember what they represent. And even today, as we've been looking at this truth of Your unchangeableness, God, that that, that truth would be driven. The stakes of that truth would be driven deeper and deeper into our hearts. Maybe, maybe helping us for what we're going through now. Maybe preparing us for what we're going to going to be going through tomorrow or next week or next year. But God, we we need this. We need the help that you give, and, and part of the help you give is right here by what we're about to do together. So, um, so Lord, be pleased to to infuse this remembrance um, with with real life and meaning today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.